Welcome. You are about to enter the Wooniverse. In five, four, three, two, one. Transport complete. Come inside a mystical, magical portal between worlds. It's all good, it's all God, it's all magic, it's all sacred, it's all quantum, it's all. Where playful curiosity leads the way and beyond. It's like inside of each of us is an ember, and I believe in the ember that remembers that place. You won't believe the ahas that come up in every single conversation. It just becomes easier to experience the positive because of how kindness feels. I can't wait to explore this enchanting space with you. Would you say, not to use the G word, but maybe we can, like, how has it helped you experience God? Inside the Wooniverse, a podcast coming to you from the corner of Fringe and Maine. Well, you asked, and now the Wooniverse is answering, of course, through me. So welcome to Inside the Wooniverse Mailbox Edition. I am your host, Colette Baron-Reed, because we've gotten so much amazing feedback and love from you all. We're doing another episode dedicated to answering your questions. So here we go. Our first question comes from Tony. He says, Colette, I was gobsmacked listening to Greg Braden speak about the deep truth of our origin story in that we appeared on Earth out of nowhere. So let's roll the clip where Greg explains the science behind our origin story. So there's a term called directed mutations. Mm -hmm. We are the product of directed mutations. Who or what is responsible? As a scientist, I cannot say with certainty. However, now this is where it gets really interesting. In my journeys through the indigenous traditions, I have yet, Colette, in my 40, I'm almost 70 and I've been traveling for over 40 years. I have yet to see a single indigenous tradition where their culture says we're the product of lucky biology. Every one of them, every single one says that we are the product of uh, an intervention right. from a community of life that exceeds what we know in our everyday lives, that we are part of a cosmic community, and that we are in a deep, deep learning process. Okay, so back to Tony's question. Greg speaks about our extraordinary chromosome fusions and that indigenous traditions around the world believe that we are the product of an intervention from essentially a cosmic community. I am so curious to learn what are your thoughts about this cosmic community? Okay, great question, Tony. And I'm glad you asked about me, what my thoughts are, because you probably don't know how I was raised, but my father was an avid ufologist. And when I was about six years old, no, I think I was an eight. I think I was eight. I was in grade three. Because um, I remember he took us to these special slideshows by this author named Eric von Daniken when the book Chariots of the Gods was published. And so we got a chance to see all these supposed runways at the top of the Andean Mountains, you know, and all of the data that he had collected that in his estimation proved that we 
had ancestors that came from the stars and not just what we think as, you know, however, the origin stories that we've been taught to believe, which are many. Um, so I was actually indoctrinated into this idea well in, you know, when I was a kid. And so I've kind of grown up assuming that that was true and wondering when somebody was going to get get in alignment with them, what I thought. <laughs> I've actually seen UFOs when we lived in Dominica, you know, in the sky and one one that went right into the ocean. My dad would get us up in the middle of the night and we'd go look up in the sky and there were these V formations that would be whooping around in the sky. It's impossible. They were not, it was impossible. It was the 60s when that occurred. So um, yeah, so my personal beliefs is that not only is this possible, but I think it's probable and the cosmic communities are absolutely there. So, you know, having a father who made it his mission to teach me that the potential of my origins were interstellar or is that that we might truly come from the stars or certainly that we've been visited by these cosmic communities and of all the folklore, even, you know, my father's Slavic folklore includes some kind of myth around star people. So if you look around the entire world, all the indigenous communities in Europe, in Asia, in the Americas, all over the place, there is some kind of story that refers to this very thing. So I'm really excited. Hopefully in our lifetime, we'll actually get that a hundred percent, you know, as part of our origin story. But I'm just excited now that science is catching up to, you know, what I've always believed. And so, you know, do we know not a hundred percent what is it, but we would be silly not to believe in this. But hey, you asked what I believed and what I was curious about. That's what I believe. And that's what I'm curious about. Our next question comes from Maria. She says, Hi, Colette, I'm loving the podcast. That makes me happy. My question is about the episode with Kristen Hahn. Oh my God, that was such a good episode. And I was fascinated to hear about her process in invoking creativity. Let's roll the clip and hear Kristen in her own words. It's important to understand people's process, right? Because we can try these things ourselves. The toolkit, as you like to say. I love that. Um, I mean, meditation is the key. It's the foundational piece, I would say, of my writing. And I wake up in the morning and the first thing I do before I touch an electronic device is I meditate for 20 minutes. And it is the time where I, I breathe and I clear my head and I talk to my guides. I ask for help. I think it's really important that we ask for what we need mm -hmm. from the energy around us. So if I'm writing something, I will literally ask for, for the help that I need to be an instrument of, of the divine and to express in, in the best possible way and to raise my vibration. I will sit and literally just work to raise my vibration as high as I can and to try and lock that in. Okay, so Maria's question is, are there any practical steps you can share as to how or what to do to raise one's vibration? And then how do you lock it in? 
So I can tell you what I do right now because I'm painting an Oracle deck that's going to be out at end of 2023. And I have giant paintings. These amazing guides from the hidden realms are coming through me. So when you think of raising your vibration, me, the only way I can raise my vibration is to clean house. So I declutter my head. I dump out the resentments. I write in my journal. I make sure that when I step towards a creative project, I'm pushing all that to the side. I'm not engaging and I'm not ruminating over anything, right? So I'm in a surrendered state. So for me, meditation has always been my practical go-to. Always meditate. And I ask also to be receptive, right? That's for me. You know, when I think of locking it in, for me, it's through music. So locking it in for me means to stay in the flow of it. So as opposed to I'm going to lock it in a closet. (laughs) You, creativity, get in there. I'm going to lock you in there. So I, I don't use that terminology like Kristen uses, but I understood what she meant. For me, it's getting in the flow and staying there and music keeps me there. So I find very sad music helps me, you know, and soundtracks of movies where it was very moving, like Whale Rider and Gladiator, you know, those kind of, you know, very haunting music. Um, I also love Gregorian chants. So for me, locking it in means to staying in the flow of the creativity and staying in the reception of it. That's how I do it. Great questions. Our next question comes from Annette, and she writes, Colette, all of your interviews have been so amazing, but the one that was so captivating for me was with Denise Lynn. So if you're new here and you want to hear what Annette is talking about, you're going to want to check out episode seven, Mystical Revelations from a Near-Death Experience with Denise Lynn. Okay, so back to the question. Annette asks, how do you decide what questions to ask? It's amazing to me that you choose just the right ones for each guest. Well, I'll tell you, I'm nosy. How's that? So I like to talk to people and I'm interested. I'm genuinely interested in everybody. And most of the time I do all the talking. So it gives me an opportunity to get people that I think are super cool that I want to learn more about. And we can get up close and personal with these people. Now, it helps that most of them are my colleagues and I've actually met them personally, et cetera. But honest to God, a lot of the stuff that we end up talking about in these interviews, I didn't know. Right? So I'm getting a chance to get people to talk about things that I want to know. And I'm assuming you want to know too. And obviously you do. Otherwise, you wouldn't have asked the question. Our next question comes from Cheryl. She says, Love, love, just love the podcast. Thank you for bringing it to life. My question rose after listening to the episodes with Gabby Bernstein and Denise Lynn. They both mentioned how they had gone through trauma. Gabby indicated that she was on the other side of it now, yet Denise Lynn shared that she will always carry the trauma of what happened to her. If you haven't heard these episodes yet, I recommend pausing here and going to listen to them so you can get the fullness of this question. But anyway, in episode five, Gabby talks a lot about healing from trauma. And in episode seven, Denise shares her story of spiritual awakening, which was tied directly to a traumatic event in her life. And Cheryl's question is, how do we know when we are truly over or on the other side of healing a trauma? And when we heal it, do we move on from it in all ways? Or are we meant to accept the trauma and carry it with us in some way? Again, I can only speak for myself, right? I can really only speak for myself because I've been doing trauma therapy. And I am not a therapist. So it's just been my opinion and also from what I have learned from people in my membership and my Oracle Circle membership and my school, et cetera, and conversations I've had with therapists. 
So for example, I have done quite a bit of EMDR around a trauma that has happened to me uh, during some uh, experience I had in my early 20s that I never actually moved beyond that tends to come up for me as a trigger. And a trigger means that I feel the same feelings, the same fears, the same fight, flight, freeze, fawn, attach, you know, the same behaviors come up for me and reactions to things that remind me of this. But I don't really know that they're reminding me of that because I'm unconscious of it. And But I feel these feelings and I feel traumatized, even though they're not appropriate to whatever is there in front of me. So I still have the memory and the experience, that is still with me, but I don't get triggered the same way at all anymore. That is really important. So it's still a part of me. I mean, it made me me. I didn't get over it. Like, how do you, like you say, oh, I got over that. No, I, I can see how it impacted me in a way and how I developed my personality and how sometimes I, I will notice a knee-jerk reaction toward the trigger, like if something comes, but I also know, oh, that's not happening right now. Oh, that's, or I'll, I'm very capable of seeing it and going, oh, I get it. Oh, that's interesting. That's making me feel like that happened, that thing that happened back then. But now, instead of falling down the hole every time and re-experiencing the same feeling state as the original trauma, I now know how to walk around the hole. But that doesn't mean the hole isn't there anymore. So maybe in a few years, when Inside the Wooniverse is in our fifth number one season, I'll be able to come back and tell you that I'm completely, there is no hole anymore and there's no trauma, but I'm not there yet. So (laughs) that's pretty much my answer. But it's a really good question because you're right, being on the other side of it, I don't, Denise wasn't suggesting that she wasn't on the other side of it. She was really saying it was still a very much a part of her. Um, and the same with, you know, and, and same with Gabby, we can be on the other side of something, but it doesn't get erased. It just doesn't get erased. And again, I'm only speaking for myself and from what I have learned. Um, I've taken some courses, by the way, around trauma. Again, I highly recommend Gabor Mate and Thomas Hubel if you're interested in pursuing an understanding of trauma release and trauma therapy in a deeper way. I'm so grateful to have this opportunity to answer all of your questions, and we are going to get to more. But first, we're going to take a quick break, and there will be more mailbox questions coming your way soon. Stay tuned. We're going to be right back. All right, welcome back to some more mailbox questions. You asked, and now the Wooniverse is answering, channeling them through me. Our next question comes from Jenna. She asks, I love the Donna Eden episode. Me too, I loved it. So many amazing takeaways, especially the technique you spoke about, the figure eight. I was fascinated with its power and how it helped you through the pandemic and helped Donna heal her daughter in the hospital. Oh, yeah, this part of the interview was totally great. Let's roll the clip. Well, you know, figure eight energy is also in the furthest out band of our aura. That's how the energy is out there. But figure eight energy combines all the different energy systems and helps them communicate. So they're suddenly connected. They are a community of energies that are all connected. You're not a whole bunch of little body parts. You're one, right? and you've come back home to yourself. So it's really good. I'll tell you a real great 
a figure eight memory I have. Love it. When my oldest daughter, Titania, 10 years ago, was dying in the hospital. And, and I came and I was told she would never make it till morning. She won't care my telling what happened. She was trying to get pregnant and she went to a fertility clinic and they gave her too much. Oh my God. And um, all this, whatever Drugs, medicines and uh-huh. estrogens and stuff, gave her too much. And so she was nothing but blood clots throughout her whole body. Wow. And she had one blood clot that went from her brain down to her toe. It was just one long blood clot. And so they said, she can't make it till morning. Well, I went into her room and it hurt her because her aura was leaving her body. Wow. It detaches when you die. And I went in there and and she said, and I got too close to her and she had no protection of an aura. And she said, oh, mom, that hurts, that hurts, don't. Because she couldn't, because you have no protection when your aura is gone. So I, I went to the sides of the wall and I just did figure eights back there, just figure eights. And it began to weave her aura back to herself. And then I could go all the way up to her and touch her and kiss her. And, <laughs> and, and I know that that saved her. Figure eights are amazing. So Jenna asks, why does tracing the eight generate such power? Can you trace it anywhere else in your body for a different healing effect? What is the spiritual significance? So this is a really good question. I'm just going to break it all down to what I know personally. So first of all, let's look at the significance of the number eight. Numerology, we know the number eight is about freedom. It's about compassion. It's also about self-confidence. When we feel out of sorts and when we're afraid, we've lost our confidence, our freedom. We actually get into the fight, flight, freeze, and uncertainty is really where we're at. So what this helps us do right away, if we trace the number eight, is restore confidence, right? We're restoring that sense of compassion, confidence, and freedom. We're liberating ourselves from the panic. But the other interesting significance, and you'll see that from Donna's work and other people, when you look at the two hemispheres, of the brain, left and right, and the two sides of the body. And when you're looking at this as a binary system, you trace the number, and this, the number eight is also the number of infinity, right? So when you go around, it never stops. You can go around and around and around this way and never end. So you're bringing those two sides together that may have needed to be recalibrated into a new unified manner of communicating with the other. Um, According to Donna, you can make these figure eights anywhere on your body, anywhere in the room, anywhere. So I thought that was a great question. But if you want to have more information about this, you want to go directly to Donna Eden herself. Her website is edenmethod.com. Okay, we're going to go on to the next question. Andy asks, I love the episode with Rich Lister and his perspective on the runes. I've never used them, but I am intrigued. He spoke about using the teaching model of the runes to build a resilient neurology within our bodies. Let's roll the clip. Being able to adapt the interpretation of the runes from something that was written down by 11th century monk into something that's applicable now in the human world and be able to use it that way, it changes how our brains start thinking about things. So taking a very wooden concept of this is what this room means, this is the poem that goes with it, to how does that manifest in my world right here, right now, means our brains have to stop just believing what we've been told in the world and start thinking beyond the black and white prescriptive nature of education, of media, etc. So we start to go, okay, the strength through mead to giant ox. There's no giant oxes left anymore. But what happens if it means a bulldozer right. or a giant four by four or a, a big articulated lorry or truck? 
and how we all these energies can become adaptable for now and by using the teaching model of the runes to build a resilient neurology within our bodies then we can start to look at how concepts such as the Holmgang which is the Viking honorable combat can help to build our own physical resilience by increasing um, hand-eye coordination by balancing on rocks down by the beach and by using runes and using ancient concepts that have been developed over millennia I can then bring me into now as a more resilient human and hopefully lead other people to a same state that they can face what comes and not crumble and go, I've got this, I know what I'm doing, let's do it. Andy's question is, can you speak a little bit more about the process you and Rich described around how we can use intuitive tools to reshape our neurology? And what kind of tools would you recommend to help dissolve our fixed conditioning? Wow, this is a humongous question and I am gonna answer it. Because I can speak not just a little, I can speak a lot about this. So, okay. So first of all, I actually began working with divination tools, you know, gosh, what, 30, more, more, 40 years ago. And runes were my favorite ones to work with in the beginning. And I will tell you, when you look at the concept of neurology, like just a very simple way, the more you use a divination system and the more you trust what it says and the more evidence that you start to see external in your outer world and you start to see like there's a proof loop. I actually teach this in Oracle Cards 101, one of my courses, there's a proof loop. You see evidence, you keep seeing the evidence. Well, you start to trust. Trusting changes your neurology. You go from being a person who is suspicious of the world or who only sees the world to the lens of materialism to a person person who begins to see a more expanded view of the world through a more mystical lens, which immediately changes how you see things, how you experience them physically, and your neurology changes. There's neuroplasticity. You start to begin to believe in more than what was possible before. So your expectations are related to your neurology. When you're not afraid of life and you start to trust it because you have a tool to work with that tells you where you've been, where you are, and where you're likely heading, you start to have a lot more confidence in the invisible world that works in concert with the visible world. So that is really how you change neurology is through trusting. And you do that naturally. The other thing is, is that you become more resilient. It's really important to use this term, by the way, right now, because everybody's been through so much. And resilience, rather than balance, is what we all need to be focused on. And resilience means that if we have a tool to tell us where we are, where we're going, where we've been, give us some navigation, then we're becoming more resilient because there's more trust. We don't fall as easily into this superstitious fear of, oh my God, the sky is falling chicken little. Even if the sky falls, your runes, your oracle cards, your pendulum, whatever it is that you are using, whatever tool that you've begun to trust is going to show you how to navigate this in a way that enables you to be more quicker in your resilient responses. So there is a fantastic correlation between you learning how to work with a divination tool, using it on a regular basis, making it part of your practice, your daily practice, and your capacity for neurological resilience. Our next question is from Becca. And Becca writes, in your conversation with Crystal Banner, you mentioned that her decks and your decks are designed to grow with the person and evolve with them. 
that there is no timestamp. Let's roll the clip. I'm just thinking like, I want to reflect, you know, as an artist and a writer, a time, but I don't want it to be stuck in that time. So sometimes I go back in a deck and this card, I know what it means when I drew it. It's still meaningful, but in a different way. And I want people to be able to do that and use that guidebook as a reference, but be willing to shift and grow. And the theme might be the same, but how it affects you and how you experience it. Right can be different and that's okay. That's the beauty of it. And so, yes, I did that on purpose because I want my work to stand the test of time. I believe in putting in the work to take time, like even if something takes longer to build because that that 10 of pentacles energy, like yeah, I want yeah. it to go the long route. I, I want it to be the something- legacy. That yes, and and to be something that people are like, this is valuable, like this means something to me and it's it's still relevant, even if it's in a different way. Okay, so Becca's question is, I am a huge fan of your decks, and this conversation got me thinking, what is your biggest hope for your Oracle cards, their evolution, and their legacy? Wow, what a fantastic question, because I've been thinking a lot about that lately, because of course, you know, creating Oracle cards is my calling. And, you know, people say to me, why do you create so many decks? It's like, why would you give birth to so many kids? It's like it, it, the baby wants to be born and I don't really have a choice. Um, so it's like I have to surrender it and bring it through me. And uh, my biggest hope for these card decks, because each one is its own universe, right? Its own little universe and has its own psychology built into it and is the, and it's, you know, has a has a purpose to it. They all have a similar purpose, of course, which is to help you evolve. That's the whole point of them. But I think if I were to say um, the legacy of my Oracle cards would be that you would find or that people could find one, at least one, that spoke to them both artistically and linguistically and, of course, the language, that you would want to use it and you would change as a result of using it, that somehow it would guide you in a way that would bring you deeper into your heart and closer to spirit. That's really my legacy. Before we end this episode, I want to take a few moments to thank everyone who took the time to rate and review us. Oh my goodness, there are so many. We can't believe it. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I am going to read some of my favorites. Carol Ann writes, Ahas galore. I especially love how Colette has broken down dialogue from each podcast and left us the gems from each incredible human being. Keep them coming. Thank you, Carol Ann. So the breakdown of each episode that Carol Ann is referring to can be found for each episode on our show notes pages. And if you're listening to our podcast right now in an app, you know, like Apple Podcasts, iTunes, or Spotify, then you'll see a link within the description. And if you're listening online, head on over to itwpodcast.com and click on an episode graphic and be instantly transported. Lamea V writes, you know it's good when an hour feels like 15 minutes. I have Dr. David's book. I got it when it first came out. Magical. Thank you, Colette. You and your crew are a big part of my world. I'm so excited. I love podcasts, so I was very excited when you decided to do this. Yay. Thank you, Lamea. Slammer84 writes, oh, I love these names you guys have. <laughs> love to be wooed, and I'm enjoying how much you know about these outstanding teachers and how much they enjoy sharing. Thank you. 
also Lunar Rat. I love the name Lunar Rat. Thank you, Colette. What wonderful sessions with great empaths, healers, and open-hearted spirit beings of this world. We can all learn different ways and opportunities to better ourselves and serve others. Fibsita. 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 I'm going to say that. You said these inspiring podcasts, and by the way, every single one of those people gave us five stars, which of course is one of the reasons why I picked them. Um, anyway, these inspiring podcasts are universally magic. The stories shared always leave me with seeds and pockets of wisdom that I then implement into my life, and I'm reminded of how we are so uniquely individual and yet so universally connected. Forever grateful for Colette's magically fun and uplifting ways to bring light and wisdom into our lives. What a wild ride this season has been. Thanks so much for all of your support, your reviews, your love, your social shares, for everything. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, just because this is our last episode of season one, I don't want you to go anywhere. Want to know why? Because we're going to be back next week with a brand new series we're calling Woo Squared. So that's a little bit woo times two. And these shorter episodes, you're going to hear way more of me. You know, like an audio journal on universal topics like abundance, resilience, working with the moon, manifestation, meditation, and much, much more. I also want to let you in on another fun fact. We're currently recording a hot summer mini-series we're calling I Talk to Dead People, which, okay, you guessed it, will be all about one of my favorite subjects, mediumship. So we'll be launching that on July 12th. And don't worry, you'll be hearing plenty more about this series as we get closer. So thank you for joining us on Inside the Wooniverse. Until next week, I'm Colette Baron-Reed. Be well. You've been listening to Inside the Wooniverse with Colette Baron-Reed. This episode was recorded at Wooniversal Network Studio by Chris Dupuy. A special thanks to our executive producer, Connie Deletti, and our producer and story editor, Julie Fink. Audio post and supervision by Michael Seifert and David Shaw at Sumo Recording. Original music written and performed by Michael Seifert. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or leave us a rating on our Spotify show page. Do you have a question about something you've heard here today for Colette? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at podcast at colettebaronreed.com and your question could appear on a future episode. If you love what you've heard here today, we have so much more to offer. You can access our bonus content, keep up to date with new episode releases, featured guests, and prize giveaways, all by clicking on the link in our description or by visiting us at itwpodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you join us next time Inside the Wooniverse, a podcast brought to you from the corner of Fringe and Maine.